We're going to talk this morning about the subject of are the Jews God's chosen people today? And it's kind of related to the lesson we did last week on the land of Canaan or Palestine. Is that a special eternal possession of the Jewish nation? How should we feel about that? You can go back and get the recording of that on our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. And um, like last week, I'm going to take a position I think is perfectly biblical, but it, it is not the common position on this subject in the religious world today. So brace yourself, because what you hear today is that, yes, the gods, the Jews are still God's chosen people, and they have a special place in God's plan today, and that one day in the millennium, he's going to miraculously convert all the Jews to Christ. That's what you're here. And then he's going to reset the temple back up in Jerusalem. It's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And all that's going to be reinstated during the millennium with Christ on the earth. It's a, a, a the, the Greek word for that is preposterous. Okay. That's the Greek word for it, preposterous. But that's exactly what's taught in most, uh, evangelical Protestant churches today, or many of them. It's a fairly new idea in history within the last 100, 150 years, that, that, and, and you'll find lots of variations of that theme that's being taught. And so like last week or so when this thing broke out over there in uh, Gaza, prominent preachers like Greg Laurie were saying, well, you're seeing Bible prophecy fulfilled before your eyes and expect now to see uh, God's unfolding plan of the restoration of Israel and the temple and all that stuff in preparation for Christ to return. Uh, I, I can see sort of how that comes out, but that's not at all what the Bible teaches about these events. It's a big subject. We might need to have a class sometime on this subject of premillennialism and dispensationalism, uh, but today I'm going to give you a flyover version of it. This is not by any means intended to be a comprehensive study of this of this topic. I might even leave out some scriptures I should put in, but I wanted to make something that is hopefully digestible that you can read the scriptures for yourself to see what the Bible says about this subject and so forth. I think prophecy is tremendously misunderstood in the denominational world and everybody thinks they can take the prophets and begin to read those and apply that to today. And that is not at all how the prophets work. It's not even how they worked back then. Okay, And, and so we need to have a class on that. But the question is, are the Jews God's chosen people today? And we'll come back to that. So, Let's go look at the Bible together. I know that's what you want to do. And let's just, for sake of clarity, maybe an easier... But yes, Gary? We're covering some of this in Wednesday night. Basically. All right, you're, Gary's dealing with some of these prophecies and stuff on Wednesday nights in the 7.30 class. All right, how to look at the prophets, how to see the connection to the New Testament. You know, the Bible is clear about this in Acts chapter 3 when the Apostle Peter was speaking to the people right after the, the resurrection of Christ at the beginning of the church, he says that Samuel and all the prophets who spoke, spoke of these days, those days at the beginning of the New Testament, the days of the apostles. Say All the prophets who spoke, Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all those prophets, he says, spoke of these days, Acts 3.19 and 3.24. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? He says he's not saying they're speaking of the end of the world. 
The Bible is clear that the prophets of the Old Testament are not speaking about the end of the world and the second coming of Christ. It says it more than once like that. But unfortunately, people insist on the fact, and it's because the language that's used, it's apocalyptic and sounds like the end of the world, but it's not talking about that. So my basic understanding of how to interpret these passages in the New Passages in the Old Testament in particular are to point them all to the days of Christ and the apostles. That's what the scriptures say for me to do. And that's what we ought to do about those. Now, are there some perhaps to the end of the world? Well, that's pretty debatable and they're different, but that's not, that's not what Ezekiel and Isaiah and all those verses, Daniel, that's not what they're talking about. And people don't want to believe that because every generation wants to believe that this is the end of time. I've, I've looked at this for a long time, and I'm not going to make me an expert, but you can go back to the year 1000 AD and before, and you will find people teaching that you should go up on the mountain wearing a white robe and wait for Jesus to come back in the year 1000 AD. And they were sure that these different things that were happening then were the sign of Christ coming. And you can go back Back to the Middle Ages, back to Charlemagne, back to Napoleon, back to Bismarck. And you, you people don't even know who these people are, but they were world famous people back then who were dictators. You can go back to Char- back to Charlemagne, Bismarck, uh, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, and I can, I'm just naming the Saddam Hussein. That was a big one just a few years ago. Saddam Hussein and the, is the new Nebuchadnezzar and it's ushering in. He's going to usher in the, the millennium and all that by bringing all the armies of the Russians together to defeat Israel. How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for Sodom, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar? He's going to bring it, bring out about the millennial kingdom because he's going to unite all the nations against Israel. You see, it's constant. Everybody wants, and, and if you meet a Jehovah's Witness, come to your door. They're very clear about this. Matthew 24, Jesus says that there are people standing here and John Mark 9 who will see the kingdom of God come with power. And then they read the passage in Matthew 24 that all these things will come upon this generation. That's what Jesus said. All these things about, you hear about wars and rumors of wars? You know that passage? Jesus says, that that was going to come upon that generation, this generation. He didn't say it was coming upon in 2023. That this war, rumors of wars, is that's not the application of it. Jesus says what happened to this generation. Jehovah's Witness will say, you see, it's this generation. Oh yeah, it's this generation. It's this one right here that you're living in. You know, I, I just, I don't even know how to respond to that. I, I'm serious. I don't mean to be sarcastic, but I don't know how to respond to that comment of a grown-up reading that verse that's 2,000 years old that Jesus said that these things will come upon this generation and saying it means this generation that we're living in. I'm not even sure how to respond. Do you see the problem with that? Now, this isn't even in the sermon. This is all, you know, that's why we're not going to get done. But you see, there's there's a reason to point these scriptures in the prophets where we're going to point them. And there's a reason not to point them where the people today generally point them. It makes us all feel excited. And my problem with this whole view of dispensationalism in a general way is it's usually very unproductive for people to focus on. Even when Peter, in 2 Peter 3, even when the apostle Peter talks about the end of the world, he gets he tells us some things, 
about the elements being dissolved and all that stuff. And then he said, he doesn't go on to say, now you be uh, make sure that you've got all your stocks in line. You make sure this, that, and the other. He says, seeing that th- these things are all thus to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all godliness and holy living? He points even the little bit of knowledge he gives you about the destruction of the world back to how we ought to be living. And yet what people want you to do is they want to figure out where you're supposed to go when Jerusalem's being destroyed and all that, it's already been destroyed. Jerusalem's already been destroyed. The prophecies about it have already been fulfilled. And so there's no practical benefit for most Christians. In the end, even if I were to tell you everything that was going to happen for the end of the world, what would I be able to tell you to do about that? I'd be able to tell you, you should be a holy person. You should be paying attention to the Lord. Not you should be selling your stocks or moving here, doing this, getting a white robe, you know, all that stuff. You should be living a godly life and watching for the Lord to come. That's what we all should be doing all the time. All right, sorry. Here's what God says to the Jews in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord. Now, this is the assembled gathering of the Israelites who have just come up out of Egypt. This is the repetition of the law. Here's the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord does not. Now here he, now he's going to correct them. Because, well, boy, I'm special. Well, you're so special that you better be careful. That's what he's going to tell them. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. I will tell you, my grandmother had 19 grandchildren. I will tell you that I was her favorite. I was the one she considered to be her favorite. Of course, my brothers might dispute that. Other cousins might dispute that. But what does that mean? Oh, you know, I'm somebody pretty special here. God chose me. She did many things for me that she didn't do for some of the others. They just don't know about it. But she did many things for me. It makes me special and important, doesn't it? Look what he says here. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. By that he means you're, so, you're the smallest. In fact, when God chose them, they weren't even a nation. They weren't even born yet. Abraham hadn't even had any children yet. He chose them to be his Because he said, I'm going to give Abraham, the man I love, my friend Abraham, I'm going to give him a seed, a son, and he's going to be a great nation. That's when he chose the nation of Israel, when they were nothing. But he says, because the Lord loves you and because he will keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers, there's the point. He swore to Abraham, I'm going to do this. It's not because of you, it's because of what I swore to your fathers. And there are people that I've met now that I'm an old man. Because I, because I love their father or their mother, I probably treat them differently, think of them differently than other people. Not because I don't, I don't even know some of them very well. I just know they're the son or daughter of somebody I loved. And so I'm going to treat them differently. That's what's going on here a little bit. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the land of, the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. Therefore, no, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God will keep his covenant for a thousand generations, meaning all the way out. 
If you do what? Who, who does he keep his covenant with? Those, it says here who he keeps his covenant with. Those who love him and keep his commandments. I want you to hold on to that thought because the problem with that is the Jews did not keep his commandments. Most of the rest of the Old Testament is about how they didn't keep his commandments. But he says, I'll keep this oath with you to be a chosen people for a thousand generations if you keep my commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which I command you to obey, to observe them. Now time goes by. The Jews say, oh, we'll do this. God blesses them. They become a nation. They drive out many of their enemies. God, even in spite of all their disobedience, sometimes he lets them raise up a king, Saul, David, Solomon. But then things keep getting worse. It's getting worse through there. They begin to worship false gods. Even Solomon set up worship of false gods through the wives that he married. And finally, God had enough. Notice Second Chronicles chapter 36. This historically is the last chapter in basically the Old Testament. Historically. Even though it's in the middle of your Bible, it's talking about events that are at the end of the Old Testament. And it's a, it's a moving chapter. It's just, it's a really big and eye-opening and you think about all the things it mentions there. It, it, it can scare you when you realize that when God says something, you need to pay attention. He means it. And yet he's so merciful. Moreover, all the leaders and the priests and the people, we want to blame the leaders. Well, if we had a better president, we'd be a better country. Could be. My point would be, if we were a better country, we could make a better president. Goes both ways, doesn't it? Who's to blame when Israel failed? Was it the priests and the prophets? Yes. Was it the people? Yes. They all had their part in it because they were all corrupt. Just like our country is corrupt from top to bottom. From the presidents, to the Congress, to the police, to the judges, to the prosecutors, to the people, to the insurance salesmen, to the realtors. I can name all. They're all corrupt. They only do what will make them money or serve them to fill their own. They do not. And they oftentimes do not have any concern for integrity or honesty or just simply doing the right thing. How many people do you meet every day that you know that you think they will do the right thing even if it hurts them? You don't hardly hardly anybody that will do that. Even, but businesses used to do that kind of thing. They used to take a loss sometimes if it was beneficial to the customer, but not anymore because we're all corrupt. I use the word all, and of course, in the general sense. This is where Israel was. The leaders, the priests transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations, child sacrifice, all the prostitution that was the religious, the religious services that involved prostitution of women and children. They did all these things. They defiled the house of the, of the Lord with these things. There were, there were homosexuals there at the temple gates and they were servicing the people when they came to the temple of God in the Old Testament. There's nothing new. God didn't destroy them yet though. <laughs> he had, he says in verse 15, and the Lord God of our fathers, of their fathers, sent warnings to them 
by his messengers, rising up early and sending them. God was diligent about that's an expression. He did it early in the morning. He did it all the time. He did it all warn them continually. And he wasn't slack about warning because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, Jerusalem, on the temple. But they mocked the messengers of God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the prophets. Even the ones we don't know about. They despised his words. They looked down on the words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. It finally got to the point there was nothing that could be done about it. God couldn't do anything but destroy them. That's all there was. These are sobering words, aren't they? For the history of a nation that God said, I'll love you for a thousand generations if you keep my word. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sun. He killed them right there in the temple. Had no compassion on the young man or the virgin, on the aged or the weak. They'd run through the villages, rip anybody they saw that was pregnant or weak, they'd rip them over right there uh, in the street, take out, cut out the baby and whack it to pieces. Kind of like Hamas does. That's how the Babylonians treated Israel. God let this happen to them. He gave them all into the hand of the king of the Babylonians, all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the articles that were made of gold there, that the Bible says that the men who designed these things and the craftsmen who made these bowls and pitchers and, and the tabernacle, and all the pieces, they had gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had the intervention of God to give them the talent to make these beautiful objects that God wanted for his service beyond what anybody else could possess. These were the things when people saw them, they marveled at how they were. God gave them these things and it says he was willing at that point. There was no remedy. They took these treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king, all his leaders, all those they took to Babylon and they used in their pagan services. We even have a record in the Bible of these foreign kings using these same articles in their drunken feasts to worship their own gods. He let them take them to their land and worship their own gods with these things that he made for himself. Who's to blame for that? The chosen people are to blame for that. That's who's to blame for that. And they burned the house of God, the Babylonians did. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned his palaces with fire and destroyed all his precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. Those who didn't get killed right there, he carried to Babylon where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. See, God's prophets are true. When God, when Jeremiah spoke stuff, they threw him in a pit and tried to kill him when he told them the truth. But God said, I know what I told Jeremiah. His words are going to come true. And they did. Until the land enjoyed this, her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Pretty sobering. These are the chosen people. Now, it's coming. We might not get to it. Probably won't get to it. You know, when I tell you that the Jews are God's chosen people, when people say this today, you know what they're thinking? You're probably thinking it too. Oh, well, they must be saved because they're God's chosen people. They must be saved. They must be good. The Jews in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. Were they saved? Were they righteous? They weren't. They weren't, they weren't good with God because they were chosen people. 
The only way they got good with God is when they kept his word and kept his law. Then they were okay with God. But otherwise, yeah, they were chosen, as it were, as a group, but they were not saved. They will not appear in the roles of the book of life because they were destroyed because of their sin. And then you see this passage, Deuteronomy 8. And you shall remember the Lord your God. A little bit over from what we were reading earlier. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant with which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the word, forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify you to you this day you will surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of your God. Yes, you can be chosen, but you can also be lost if you don't obey. And you know, that's true for you. The Lord God chose you. If you're a Christian, the Lord God chose you. He sent his word into the world and by God's providence it came upon your ears. Your heart responded and God blessed you with understanding and desire and you became a Christian. He chose you. That's what the Bible says. We're, we're elected or selected, as it were, by the word of God. That's how we hear. We're called by his word, 2 Thessalonians. Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. We're called by the word. He chose you. Does that mean that you're saved? Well, can be, but not any more so than these people. If you turn away from the Lord your God and refuse to obey him, you will, you will be elect or chosen, but you will not be saved. That will confuse those two ideas. So God chose Israel as a nation or people, an ethnic group, really, because he loved Abraham. That's why he chose them, because he loved Abraham and they were his descendants. This choice was conditioned on their obedience to him. That's the difference. The choice to be his chosen people, as it were, on his part, was conditioned upon their obedience. You can't get anything else but that from the verses I just read to you. That his selection of them and their eventual blessing was conditioned upon their obedience. You can't get anything, I don't think, but that. You can't get the idea of the dispensation of millennialists that once he chose Israel, they were always going to be saved and nothing could ever do this. Now, he did say he would never destroy Israel completely. You know what the prophecy was? I asked you to read it last week, Deuteronomy 28 through 30. Here, it is, I should just do a lesson on that. Maybe I will. It is some of the most sobering things you will read you talk about politically incorrect. God tells the Jews, the Hebrews, they weren't Jews then, they were Hebrews, children of Abraham. In Deuteronomy 28, the beginning there by Mount Sinai, he tells them, if you will obey my voice and my covenant and keep my laws, I will bless you beyond anything you can even imagine. You won't even be able to hold all the things. No one will ever come near you to destroy you. Everything you do will work out. It's just what I'm going to do for you because I've chosen your Abraham's children. I want to bless you. And he says, I'll give you everything. If you disobey me, I will take this land away from you. We saw that last week. I will drive you to the four corners of the world everybody will hate you they will persecute you they will despise you you'll it'll never end he says that will never end the the everlasting covenant god made with abraham also had an everlasting punishment if they disobeyed we read that verse last week the punishment for you will be everlasting those curse upon 
Israel, as it were, who is disobedient is as everlasting as the blessing. What do you think you see today? What do you think you've seen since the time of Christ? You've seen the Jews scattered to every country. Israel doesn't even hold most of the Jews. A good portion of them are in Miami and Florida. I think there's many Jews in Florida as there are in Israel. If that's not true, it's very close. Florida is like the second most place where the Jews are in the whole world. Well, we all know that, don't we? Especially if you live south of here. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm just telling you. But they're scattered. They're everywhere. A lot of people that call themselves Jews, the Ashkenazis, aren't even ethnic Jews. They're, they're descendants of proselytes in Russia and Germany. They're descendants of proselytes. They're not ethnic Jews. But they're scattered all over the world. In fact, the Bible refers to them as the dispersion. The diaspora. Now, Peter plays on that in his book, writing to the dispersion, that the Christians are now dispersed to all of them. See, just as God scattered the Jews all over the world, he, he pictures in the New Testament that after the persecution of Stephen, he scattered his disciples all over the whole world. So we're scattered everywhere too. Christians don't live in just one country. They're scattered everywhere you go in the same way the Jews. So, but God said they would be hated wherever they go. A curse and a byword. Isn't it sad to see that that's true? And I know some old people from Europe, and yes, as good a people as they were, they only spat on the ground when they talked about the Jews. I it's hard to see that, but there it is. And so there are a lot of good reasons to, well, I can't tell people this. Yeah, um, you know, the Jewish people think that the nation of Israel is the Messiah. A whole section of the Jewish people think that the nation of Israel is the promised Messiah. You'll hear this in the news sometimes. And they mention people like Albert Einstein, of course, and the atomic bomb, the Albert Einstein, and they mentioned Jonas Salk, who invented the vaccine for polio, and they mentioned all these Jews. But they forget Howard Stern, of course, and a whole bunch of other, and some of the associates, they forget the associates of Lenin who brutally murdered all these people. They forget all those wicked Jews, the ones in our country. Who is it in Hollywood that's grooming all of our children to serve Satan? It's oftentimes the Jews. So they're just like every other people on the earth. They're representatives of that ethnic group that are good and honorable people and benefit society. And then there are the others. And the Jews seem to have a purport disproportionate share maybe on both sides. But they're not the Messiah. There is one seed, the Messiah. So just just keep things... In perspective, the Bible warns me not to think above men above what is written. So this choice was conditioned upon obedience. And as a nation, I'm not speaking about individuals now, but as a nation, they were condemned because of their disobedience. Israel disobeyed and broke the covenant both before and after the captivity. So yes, they went away into Babylon, like he said, and, and they carried everything away. Then he let them come back. So he let some of them come back, a remnant, a small little piece of a corner. I needed something to make notes on a minute ago because I wouldn't forget everything. I only forgot one thing. So I ripped off a piece of paper off the corner something I got in my briefcase there. This is a remnant of the whole sheet. That's all it is, small piece. I can't even remember what's on the rest of it because it's just a small piece. 
This is how I write sermons. It's how I navigate life. Usually it's a poem. I have a poem pile out of little. I almost did that a minute ago. I thought, well, you know, I'll get up here and start preaching. People wonder what's written on my hand. So I won't do that. But a small portion came back. Notice how the Old Testament ends, though. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi, one of the latter prophets, about the year 425, well, 450 B.C., maybe a little bit closer than that, Malachi. They've come back to the land. And God is very, very unhappy with these people. The whole book is just one serious rebuke after another in the book of Malachi and how stubborn they were, how greedy they were, how they were only serving him in hypocrisy. On and on Malachi went up to them. And finally in chapter four, he says, for behold, here's his conclusion, for behold, the day of the day is coming. In other words, I'm done with you, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day is coming and shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that they will leave them neither root nor branch. Who's he talking about here? The chosen people. The day's coming when they're going to be stubble and burned up. I'm not going to leave anything of it that amounts to anything. But to you who fear my name, there's a few among you. Those who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Who do you think that is? Well, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ is coming. The son of Messiah. He's predicting this 400 years in advance. And you shall go out and grow fat like well-fed calves. Now, there's a, the last, ver, last word in the Old Testament is a curse. God's done with this nation. He's not going to say anything more to them for 400 years. They won't repent. He's brought them back. They still haven't repented. They still haven't turned toward him with their heart. They're stubborn and rebellious. And he basically says, I'm done until the son of righteousness comes. The rest of it will be burned up. Look what John says. Now here's John the Baptist. So 400 years go by. The Lord sends Elijah. The book of Malachi prophesied about Elijah coming. Jesus says John the Baptist is Elijah. So here's the fulfillment of Malachi, according to Jesus in Matthew 11. Elijah, John the Baptist is coming. And when many of the, he's out preaching in the wilderness in Judea. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and, let me show you, we were out in that wilderness. It's a pretty, pretty bad place. It is an extremely desolate place. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? He knew who these people were. They were the leaders of this chosen people. And he called them a brood of snakes. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to yourselves, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now think about what that means for a minute. I thought you're the Jews, aren't the Jews people today? Don't they think, well, the Jews are God's chosen people because they're children of Abraham. Huh. What did Jesus say to these same people? Don't say to me, you're children of Abraham, and somehow that's going to keep me from destroying you. I can raise up children of Abraham from these stones if I want to. Jesus said the same thing later. How important was it to be genetically related to Abraham? Well, apparently when Christ came, it wasn't that important anymore. It was important in some ways, but not that important. And even now, he says, John the Baptist does, the axe is laid to the root of the trees, 
Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's he talking about? The nation of brood of a brood of vipers is going to be cut down and burned up in the fire, destroyed. When you put an axe and you chop off the branches of a tree, new branches can sprout. Now, there's a picture of that later. I know, be fair, there's other passages that deal with some of this stuff. But he said, John says that I'm Jesus because of your who you are. He's going to cut the root. When you cut the root, the tree is dead. And that's what he's saying here. We read these verses and we don't often catch this. So he goes on to say then Matthew 23, then Jesus now, end of his life. The same people come to him. They're surrounding him. They're throwing questions at him. They're trying to get him killed. They've already plotted to kill him. And he tells him in the broad read, we read most of this last week, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Surely I say to you, all these things will come, up, will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. There's nothing. There's going to be nothing. Because they rejected him. They rejected him when he came to them. There's going to be nothing left of this nation, of these people. For I say to you, you will see me no more. Do you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now it was a preparation. Here's a little, a little bit later. Okay, I can't read all this. These Jews standing there before Pilate. Jesus is there. Pilate says, here, I'm going to release him to you. He's an innocent man. And they cried out, crucify. So then he brings him out and says, behold your king. Oh, they got incensed. Was he their king? Was he their king? Pilate may not have known it, but was Jesus their king? Absolutely he was. Some of them knew. Most did not want to know. And what they said to him is take him away and crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Now that is an absolute rejection of God's covenant with them. He gave them kings, a line from David. They rejected that king and said, we want Caesar. And so Pilate goes out. He's, he writes, King Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews above the cross. And they got mad about that. Oh, no, you take that down. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. In other words, it's going to stay there. The king of the Jews, the Jews did kill the king of the Jews. They did it. The Romans helped them. They weren't all by themselves. But the Jewish nation, the Jewish nation put Jesus Christ to death on the cross. I believe that's when things were over. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 21, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, you, you Hebrews, you Jews, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone, that's Christ, will be broken. But on whoever it falls, it will grind you into powder, blow them away. So it was at the cross that the nation of Israel ceased to be God's chosen people because they put to death their own king that God gave them. All the plans of all the Old Testament prophets led right to that cross and they they killed him when he came, you see. So they were cut off by their unbelief. But they can be restored by belief. Now this is where this big passage in Romans 11 comes in, which I know you thought I was probably going to talk about, but we'll talk to another lesson on that because I don't want to get to that. But they can be brought back in and they will be brought back in, the ones who believe. Paul uses himself as an example. He says, is all is Israel cut off? Well, look at me. I'm a Jew. 
Jew of the Jews. I believe I'm in. And so he says, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And that's why Paul says that he is not a Jew who is one outwardly in Romans 2, but one inwardly. The circumcision is the heart, not the spirit. And so then you go on, you can read some of these other. Well, I've got a bunch more slides. Well, I'm going to go there. But the, I'm, I'm way over and I apologize for that. But the point is, God, they, he did choose them as a nation because of Abraham, but he brought them. Hang on a second here. Um, he brought them to where he wanted them to be. And so he finally tells the Christians, you, you believers, Jew and Gentile, you believers are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. The same language he used in Mount Sinai. You're a chosen generation that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You now were not once a people, but now are the people of God. Who's the people of God today? Not the Jewish nation. But those who believe in Jesus Christ, the ones the Bible calls Christians, that's who it is. That's who the people, and some of those are Jews. Now there is no place, as said last week, for any animosity toward Jews, no reason for anti-Semitism, nothing. All the apostles and my Lord were Jews, and so how can I have anything bad to say about them as a person or as a nation as such? And I'm not trying to, I'm only pointing out the facts of the, why God rejected them. There's no reason for me to be personally, have any animosity toward anyone, Jew or Gentile. You say, well, they're God's enemies. Well, God, what did God say for me to do with my enemies? Love them. There I'm stuck. I'm just stuck with that, aren't I? So we're going to sing this song as we close today. Sorry for the length. Number 655. There's a fountain free. And if we can help you this morning to become a Christian, part of God's chosen people, we'd like to do that by baptizing you into Christ. If this morning you'd like us to pray with you about a sin or a weakness, please let us know by coming to the front. We'll be glad to help you. These people here will not judge you. They will help you and try to encourage you as best they can. So you come this morning if we can help you right to the front. Let's stand and sing.